Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name's Scott. So good to be with you. I've been away for a bit, and I'm back and uh, excited to uh, worship together here on this fourth Sunday of Advent. Uh, thank you, Lauren, for sharing. I just want to draw your attention to the Christmas Eve invite. I know we made a big deal about it last week as well. As Lauren just said, for her own story, Christmas Eve was a huge part of the trajectory of God uh, retelling the greatest love story ever told in her life. So there are people in your family, in your friend circle, from your bus stop, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, who might be looking for an invite for Christmas Eve. So we give this to you to both be a reminder to you, but hopefully that you would pass it on to others. Uh, we hope that we have a really big uh, Christmas Eve service to just declare the great love story of God's love in our lives. I get the opportunity now to uh, move us into a time of teaching as we consider what the scriptures have to say here on the fourth Sunday of Advent. As you know, we've been uh, teaching through a series about the family tree of, Je- of Jesus called Our Family Tree, and we have it here on, on the left. And we've been talking about some of the surprising characters, particularly the surprising women that Matthew highlighted in his genealogy. Today brings us to a difficult and powerful story, the story of Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, uh, the mother of Solomon in the line of Christ. And uh, in just a moment, I want to pray. We're going to enter into a time of teaching. I just want to say that um, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one when we really unpack Bathsheba's story, but it's a great story. It's a story that's full of grief and loss and also hope and redemption. And if at any point this story feels just a little much for you, um, we do have prayer team folks that are in the lobby as well as be available after service. If you just need to step out and, and kind of connect with someone else or have some space by yourself, we want to know that we've been thoughtful about preparing that. And I'll try to be thoughtful in some of my sharing about Bathsheba's story that gets the point across and also uses language that uh, doesn't alienate any of us. Our scripture today comes from three different places as we tell the story of Bathsheba. Uh, First, from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 1. This is the genealogy, it's here on the wall, of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Skipping ahead. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, we heard last week. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Our second reading. About a thousand years earlier, the story of David's sin with Bathsheba from 2 Samuel. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. This woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she's Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, he slept with her. She was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. And then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. The third reading, many years later, comes from 1 Kings. Then King David said at the very end of his life, call in Bathsheba, his wife. So Bathsheba came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king, David, then took an oath, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. 
This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Uh, Will you pray with me now? So Lord God, we come to you today as uh, women and men wanting to hear from your scriptures, wanting to learn more uh, through your family tree, Jesus, about redemption, about hope. God, as we um, have been considering some rough stories from your family, uh, today is, is one of the roughest. And so, Lord, we just pray that you'd be present to us, you'd be a comforter, that you'd be a bright light, that you, for, um, for all of us, God, that you would bring hope. And um, we declare everything that's happened in this service is of you, God. So the, singing with the little ones, joy to the world, it's true. And yet considering the story of Bathsheba and some of the injustice against her, it's also true. So God, we become people of uh, hope, but also people that can hold paradox. Because though there's pain in this world, your grace covers all. And so Lord, will you be present in the sharing of your scriptures now and, and bring us closer to your heart. Help us understand that the brokenness is a reality, so is redemption. And may we, all of us, have a touch of your spirit today. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Oftentimes when uh, I preach, um, I love to tell a witty story about that one time that I caught a big fish, or you might not know it, but I played college sports. So it's like, really, Scott? Yeah, you know. Um, This is a little bit different message. Deserves a little bit different of an introduction. Um, as we consider Bathsheba and these surprising family stories, um, just this week, Pastor Richard and I were texting, and he was away. He's back. He's teaching on this text at our Green Lake location today. And he says, this is maybe one of the hardest sermons in 27 years I've ever had to do, to bring a story of Bathsheba on the fourth Sunday of Advent in the moment that we're in. Now, Richard taught at Green Lake for 27 years times 40 times a year or so, teaches ad nauseum around the world, different Bible schools. But that was significant. Um, And it's true. It's a difficult one. But ultimately, when we look through the story of Jesus from the family tree, the reason that this series exists isn't to exacerbate any pain points in what we have. It's like, really, Bethany, can we just like teach the wise men this year? Can we just kind of keep it at a high level? And we often do, quite honestly, at Christmas. But one of the things that I love about you, Bethany North, is that when we tell stories and we kind of look at some of the hard parts of the scriptures, or if some of our speakers, myself included, tell raw spots from our story, it enables a deeper intimacy in our pursuit of Christ. It's We're not playing games. We're not trying to make things harder or tell the hard story to be combative. It's quite the opposite. We're trying to get closer to the heart of Christ. And it's happened over and over and over again that as something vulnerable happened in the service, one of you will come up and say, hey, there's something I need you to know or there's something that I'm wrestling with. It happened just this fall. We had kind of our fall kickoff and we did some events out in the grass and you know, it was kind of that celebratory for many. Welcome back to church. And I forget exactly the content of the sermon, but, you know, I, I often will say my one spiritual gift is the gift of vulnerability, because it is a distinctive of Bethany that for a long time we've tried to not 
put ourselves on a pedestal, but just be real. One of the first messages Heather and I heard at Bethany Green Lake, Richard talked about pulling the veneer away from our heart in order to be exposed. And he quoted this verse from the New Testament. Everything that is revealed and brought into light can itself become a light. So as we work to unearth some of the pain that we carry, God can redeem it. The enemy wants to speak words and lies to us to say, hide that hard part away. But over and over and over again, as I've shared kind of raw spots in my story, I remember one of you grabbed me after the series, uh, after a sermon this fall. We're outside, kids running around, how are you? Fine, how are you? Fine. And then he looks at me, he's like, I'm not fine. Can I tell you what's really going on? And that began kind of a deepening of God revealing some stuff for him. So our title of our message today is Good News for People Who Need It. Good news for me, good news for us, good news for people who need it. The story of Bathsheba, and we're going to look at kind of, you know, that Matthew 1, the second Samuel, the first king, and a pretty simple outline that we don't want to minimize brokenness when, when it's revealed in the scriptures, the story of Bathsheba. We also don't want to stay stuck in brokenness and miss the rest of the story. And we're going to end where we should be here on the fourth Sunday of Advent, pointing to the, to the real hope of the season that Jesus' grace covers all. And like I mentioned, if at any point you just want to pray with somebody or speak about something, we'll, we'll have prayer members available here on either side, but there are people in the back that would love to pray with you. It was Henry Nouwen uh, who said, you can only drink a cup of sorrow if you drink it in community. And so may this be a church that continues to tear down places of sin and brokenness, name when we fail, and enter into wholeness together. A community of broken vessels filled with Christ's glory. That's really the good news of the story. And that's what this series has been really powerful for so many of us as we've looked at some of the brave and courageous women from the line of Jesus and some of the pain points they've suffered. The loneliness of Ruth, the victimization of Tamar, the courage of Rahab, of God just doing really amazing things. Uh, The Messiah, Jesus. Now, Matthew was writing his gospel, Matthew, to a Jewish audience who would have thought the Messiah comes from the perfect bloodline. And Matthew, who walked with Jesus, said, no, no, no. This Messiah redeems brokenness. He doesn't avoid it. He's not scared of it. And so when we suffer here on earth, it should and can lead us to the redemption that is in Christ, that is in his grace, that we worship a Jesus who doesn't cover over brokenness. He works to reveal in order to heal. So today we'll be talking about David and Bathsheba and this family tree. And so often, my middle name, David, that's probably a third of us in the room, a middle name, David, right? A bunch of us, like we honor David, a man after God's own heart. And we even teach the story of David and Bathsheba quite often in order to get to his redemption story. Um, But we'll really focus on uh, on Bathsheba today. I think there's a warning for King David, the David who slayed Goliath. He was, a, he was a king that knew how to conquer giants. But here in this story, he was slayed by an invisible giant, a giant of his own sin, a giant of his own lust or his own desire, or his own power. There's a warning for those of us in the room that are in relationship. There's a warning for those of us that are leaders. There's a warning for those of us that are raising kids. But oftentimes it's the Goliath within that has the real power to topple our faith or lead us into dark spaces. Doesn't mean we have to be broken by it, but we pay attention to it. And what we're going to see in David's story is he tried to minimize his, his sin, and it furthered the sin. 
versus when he got to the end of his story where he said, I, Jesus, you can have it all. He was calling to Yahweh then. You can have it all. And it's once he revealed his brokenness that God led him to his healing. Bathsheba suffers much at the hands of David, and there's loss and grief. It's not the end of her story. It's a remarkable reminder here, especially at Christmas time, as we await the good news of the birth of Jesus, that our story goes on, that those of us that are sitting in places of pain or sin or brokenness at the hands of someone else, mistakes that we've made ourselves, that maybe this Christmas, Jesus wants to free you in a way that you haven't felt free before in order to really enjoy the redemption that his grace covers us. Most of us in this room, uh, if we really are honest with ourselves, we're far more broken than we let on, but we're also more forgiven and redeemed than we could ever believe. And we've got to move into that place of forgiveness and wholeness that happens through confession and giving our brokenness to the Lord. So as we lean into this teaching today, hopefully there's more reconciliation, more redemption, more truth-telling. This family tree of Jesus is a bit of a mess, like so many of ours, but it's also filled with the grace of Jesus' incarnation that redeems broken things. And these messy family story, I mean, they really become places of hope. So let's lean here for the first part of Bathsheba's story as we look and consider the story from 2 Samuel that we're not going to minimize the brokenness. We're not going to minimize the brokenness as we focus on Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah in Matthew's gospel. We'll get into that language in its particular. Bathsheba had many roles in her life. She was the object of desire from David. She was a widow. She was a wife. She was the mother of a dead child. She was a mother of living children. Uh, she was, became an influential king. She became in the birth line of Christ. Uh, scripture says that she'll go on to have four other living sons, Shemaiah, Shobab, Nathan, and then Solomon. The mother of these sons was Bathsheba. Now, in Matthew 1, she's unnamed. She's the wife of Uriah. And some scholars are like, why isn't Bathsheba named in the same way that, say, Tamar or Rahab was? And um, most scholars think that David was actually, I'm sorry, Matthew was actually trying to highlight the sin of David, not trying to skirt away from it. He wasn't trying to, like, Uriah, David could have just said, Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, that happens in 1 Kings. We're going to get there in a moment. But it was really important for David, for his Jewish audience, not to minimize the brokenness of David's sin, not to erase Uriah, who was murdered by David's bad decisions. Because David wanted to highlight this, that, that, that suffering and hopelessness through Christ is not the end of the story, that God redeems broken stories. So even from Matthew 1, the gospel is being preached. It's quite powerful. The gospel is being proclaimed. And so Bathsheba, um, in the story of 2 Samuel, she goes to the king. Now, if you've been raised near the church, even when you hear the word Bathsheba, if we were having like a discussion, I might say, like, what words come to mind for you? Or if I asked you to draw Bathsheba, what, what have you heard about her? For many of us, we hear this story of seductress, or that in going to the king, that she somehow was commiserate with the sin. But when you meet Bathsheba in 2 Samuel, the first time she's introduced to us in the scriptures, we find out that she's actually a person of honor, 
Bathsheba was the daughter of Eliam, one of David's 30 righteous fighting men. Uh, Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, who was a leader in the military, one of David's elite forces. Her family is deeply connected in Israel. She's a person of influence. She lives in Jerusalem near the palace. She's part of the inner guard. Bathsheba's done nothing in the scriptures to be looked down upon other than to be gazed by a man in power. But in church history, it's not how she's remembered. And then for us, as Christians, we should be asking, well, why is that? Why is that that she's remembered as this seductress? Because if you really read 2 Samuel, if you read Matthew 1, there's nothing that Bathsheba did other than to respond to the request of the king, a response that she was forced to do. She had no power. Keep in mind, and this is a thousand years before the line of Christ, a woman, especially a widow or a woman, her only power source was connected to her husband. And the king in Jerusalem, in David's life, was the beholder of all power, a leader of not just the military or of the government, but a leader for God. So I just, I mean, it, it kind of goes without saying, but it's important to say it. If you're in this room and you hear Bathsheba's story and it's kind of conjuring up something that's happened for you, it's really important to name when you've been hurt by someone else, it's not your fault. If something's happened in your story that wasn't the way that you intended from the hands of someone else, it's not your fault. And often the enemy works as an agent of chaos, doesn't he? To, 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 to inflict blame and chaos and shame when we go through hard things and we think, oh, it, yeah, it's probably my fault or I probably could have done something different. But the story of Bathsheba this morning, we're redeeming her name because it's what Matthew does. She doesn't want her story to be forgotten. And though church history would maybe tell its other, it's really important that we redeem that Bathsheba was a, a victim. David was married. Bathsheba was too. David really broke, broke the law in calling for her. Um, Bathsheba then sent word through a messenger, I am pregnant with your child. It's a horrible story. But then it gets worse. When confronted with his sin, David sends Uriah to come home to cover up his sin and his shame. Uriah is a person of honor, so his men are all fighting in the field. He comes back, and instead of going to his wife and doing maybe what happens after being away at war, he doesn't want to give himself that privilege or that honor why his troops don't have it. So Uriah lays down outside David's palace and sleeps on the ground, so committed to his honor. So David's plan fails while Uriah is sleeping outside his castle. Now he's needing to explain, why is Uriah the, Uriah, the military leader, sleeping here? So then David sends him back to the front, and he sends Uriah, hey, send him to the front of the battle line. And David has him murdered. Now we have a pregnancy with somebody born, you know, pregnant out of wedlock. We have a murder, and David then calls Bathsheba as his wife. The baby, in 2 Samuel 12, 15, becomes ill, stricken for this heinous sin. It's a probably different sermon for a different day. 2 Samuel 12, 15. That's a sermon that I don't want to give to you about that baby, about why things don't live about sin and the nature of it, actually. But the reality is, and we know this in our own lives, sin, especially sin that's covered up, it creates death. 
It kills relationships. It kills hope. In 2 Samuel 12, it actually kills the life of a little one. And seven days after it was born, the baby dies. So we have a husband died, a baby died, a woman taken without her honor in an act of violence perpetrated against her. And it's really important as we're going to move through this, but we can't, we can't skip it. We can't skip the brokenness. And sin can't ever root out sin. When we're confronted with our sin, if you think like, oh, I know, I will. Like really, Scripture says there's only one thing to do when we're confronted with our brokenness. David himself will get there in Psalm 51. It becomes a road map for people stuck in sin, stuck in shame. It's to say, Lord, I've sinned. Will you redeem me? Will you bring me back to life? David trying to redeem sin by turning to more sin it ends up into a horrible shame and a tragedy. It's a really tragic story, this part of Bathsheba's story, 2 Samuel. Nathan, the prophet, would later go to David, tell him a parable, and David would hear a story of someone else's sin and rush to judgment and say, we should, we should do justice against that man. And Nathan said those horrible words of so much truth where he said, David, you are that man. See, when we're confronted with our brokenness and confronted with pain, just bringing it to the Lord, pain that we've inflicted on others, bring that confession to the Lord, pain that somebody else has happened or that the world has brought us to just bring that pain to the Lord, though it's not our fault. This is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to redeem. He doesn't want to cover up. He wants to heal. And, and this is what you start to learn through the, the story of Bathsheba. But what's really interesting as church um, scholarship has go- gone is that um, Bathsheba was received in the church as a pariah or somebody who had brought her pain upon herself. Every week, the teaching team of Bethany gets together, all the pastors and leaders from our six different locations, and we study the text together. And this week, we had an expert on Bathsheba come and, and teach us. Her name is Sarah. She's an ex, uh, expert on Bathsheba, written on her. She teaches at SPU. And she came and kind of taught, uh, taught the teaching team how to understand Bathsheba. And she, she's a scholar of what's called reception history, how Bathsheba was received in the, in the church. She says, the Bible doesn't whitewash or sugarcoat any characters for us, and neither should we. But the prejudice and bias against Bathsheba for almost 2,000 years should reveal to us that there has been a bias against women, and especially women who've been victimized, where the David and Bathsheba story, she was acting godly and taking a bath on her roof at time of her menstruation. She was actually fulfilling Levitical law. David saw it. And David pursued it. All of us in this room will see things and we have an opportunity. Do we pursue that unhealthy relationship? Do we pursue that thing online? Do we pursue that making money in an ungodly way? Do we pursue it or do we walk away from it? We get an opportunity when sin is presented to us. The presentation of sin isn't sin. We learn that from Jesus when he's tempted in the desert. Jesus never sinned. The enemy tried to get Jesus to sin. He didn't do it. So all of us will have presentation to sin. We get the opportunity to walk away. David knew better. He didn't walk away. He sent for her. He he co-opted her freedom. And it was an act of violence. 
against her. She bathed and she was just doing her own thing and then he sent for her. So it is really, really interesting though in the last 20 years how a shift has happened in the reception history of Bathsheba where people in the church have more mercy and empathy for her. Like she really didn't have any choices and her husband was killed and her baby was killed and she was brought in as a wife of David when she probably would have chosen a whole different story for herself. The church has a lot more grace and how we tell Bathsheba's story. And I think that's hopeful for how maybe we're kind of learning as a church and learning as a culture. But the importance that I want us to know is that as a church, we don't want to minimize the brokenness. The only way to get through it is to name when we've been hurt or when we've hurt someone else, ask for God to redeem it. As we're going to learn in Bathsheba, it's not the end of her story, but we can't skip it. When Matthew says, Solomon came from the wife of Uriah, it's really important to Matthew to say something wasn't right in what happened there. And oftentimes as a church, we, we've made mistakes that way of wanting to cover up some of the broken things. Um, it was activist, activist Tarana Burke in 2006 that started the Me Too movement against sexual abuse, sexual harassment, and a culture of victimization of women and, or men in which people publicize experience of abuse and harassment. It was this kind of smaller movement until 2017, and actress Alyssa Milano shared on social media, if you've been hurt by others, if you've been harassed or assaulted, write Me Too as a reply to this tweet. And it became a viral movement, the Me Too movement that many of us saw starting in 2017. 2.3 million people retweeted it from 85 countries, More than 24 million people participate in the conversation. Over 77 million people have commented it um, back now over five years. And then there was a new line of language, a new hashtag called Church2, where people named places of hurt in the church. Said one survivor of church abuse, the church that they went to, it was all about covering up. Let's keep the show going. And this person said, it's not right. I don't think a lot of the church gets it. Friends, I do think that the pain of Christian broken promises in the church is one of the biggest obstacles to church participation. And we see this over and over again in high church pastor failures, church failures, Hillsong, Mars Hill, others. Leaders fail. Churches have an opportunity. Do we tell the truth or do we cover up? And what Bathsheba becomes a really helpful guide for is the pathway to real redemption is by naming brokenness and and honoring the pain and seeking God to heal us, but not covering up. And so if there's places that you've been hurt at this church, at other church, by leaders, people that call themselves Christians, I just, I want to say I'm sorry uh, for your experience and you're not alone. And um, I hope that even in pausing and reflecting in this Bathsheba story, there could be some hopefulness that this is not the end. What happened to Bathsheba was so awful and so horrible. And still she fought on, the scriptures tell. The story for her doesn't end there in 2 Samuel 12. We don't minimize the brokenness. If you, store, if you study in scripture Bathsheba, as we're going to in a moment, we know that there's the rest of the story the part two of her life, 
In 2 Samuel 11 and 2 Samuel 12, Bathsheba continues to be called the wife of Uriah. And in verse 15 of 2 Samuel 12, it said, the Lord struck the child. And then it says in verse 24, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. She's named. And this becomes the great shift in her life. She's certainly a sub-character in the, in the arc of Israel's history recorded in 2 Samuel. We don't know a lot about her, but what we do learn is she goes on to have four other kids. She becomes part of David's wife. She lives in the royal household. And again, we're not trying to ignore the pain and brokenness of the wife of Uriah, but that's not where her story ends. Her being a widow is not where her story ends. Her losing her baby is not where the story ends. Matthew's wanting to hyperlink some of the pain in Second Samuel 12 in order to say even Bathsheba, who would have been part of the worst culture in the world to be a widow, she was able through God's hope and God's redemption to, to continue her story. And though she experienced incredible pain, it wasn't the end of her story. She wasn't defined by her horrific past. She had a future that she leaned into. We don't know a lot. And and Dr. Sarah Koenig, who's written two books on the story of Bathsheba, said the the church often um, looked negatively about her, that Bathsheba in recent years has had this resurgence of scholarship and of influence. And as people have studied First Kings, how she went to speak to the king, she becomes the voice for Solomon to take power. Now, I don't know how many of you watch The Crown. My wife and I love watching The Crown, and it's like watching a different world, this, the real stories of the, hier- or of the uh, hierarchy, not anarchy, what's the monarchy, thank you. <laughs> it's all foreign to me, but it's just so fascinating. But as David's life goes on, And some of the downstream uh, consequences from his sin, he continued to lead. He did do the work of reconciliation. He did confess his sin to the priest. We are led to believe it later in scripture. David was a man after God's own heart. Not because he never sinned, but because when confronted with his sin, God healed him. And then Bathsheba has this incredible, significant role of influence in 1 Kings Nathan goes to her and says, you need to, there's this power play that's happening between David's sons, between the other mothers, and and all this is kind of going on, but it's Bathsheba that goes in and speaks to an ailing David and, and leads him to choose her son to be the king. It's quite remarkable, actually. Because Nathan kind of gives her a script, but when Bathsheba goes in to be before the king, now at the very end of his life, she kind of actually uses her own words. She's become a a woman of influence and intrigue and power and significance. And and she says, all the world is watching how you're going to handle this transition. She, She speaks to his power. And then she beseeches him, David, do the right thing. Make Solomon your king. Even though he was the youngest, even though there was older sons above him, it's actually Bathsheba that establishes herself as queen mother, but she's acting for her son to have this significant role, the future king. It all happens there in 1 Kings through what? Through Bathsheba. David is like laid out in, you know, kind of like that space between living and dying. And Bathsheba takes, you know, the, the moment that she's presented. She's in the room. And she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and speak to David and tell him the right thing to do. It's remarkable. 
Like her story doesn't end when she's victimized, when she loses her first husband, when, when that baby dies, all of that pain, which my heart, I just can't even imagine what it was like to be her for that, for that season. But she wasn't done. She, she didn't stop believing in God, in, in her own story, her own influence. And she becomes the queen mother. She's redeemed And those of you in the room that have suffered a great loss, you know you never get over the loss. That's an old narrative. When are you going to get over it? We're never over the things that break our hearts. We're changed by it. But what Bathsheba points out is that though she suffered this horrific loss, that she can be changed and even redeemed. And this is where the word starts to come alive for people in this room. Because there's people in this room that need a redemption story that need a belief that God can resurrect your, your, something that you've been through, something that you're going through, something that the enemy speaks, a special brokenness to you from some failure or something that's happened to you. And Bathsheba, through the line of Christ, calls us to believe that though we've had heartbreaking losses, God's not done with us yet. God's not done with our story. All of us have different story, friends, But what I want you to hear from the story of Bathsheba, this is not the end of it. Do not believe this is the end. And it's significant to preach it because as I look out, and I know just, I know there's a lot of you I don't know that well, but I know so many of your stories and you're clinging to hope that this is not the end, that that pregnancy loss is not the end, that that relationship you lost, that this is not the end. All of us have different stories. This is not the end. God wants to move through your stories. To, to redeem your pain, to bring hope. In 2008, for, for Heather and I, we thought it was kind of the, the end of our story in some regards. We never used that language, but we felt especially broken from pain that we went through. Uh, it was, um, most of you know our story. It is significant to just share it here. Uh, it felt like the end of a really great chapter of our life. It was December 2008. We were having our third child. We just returned, re- sorry, returned from a dream vacation. We were saying, life is so good. Um, and then uh, a few days uh, after returning from vacation, a few months, sorry, uh, but we were pregnant with our, with our third born, and nine months and some days into that pregnancy with a nine-pound baby boy, uh, in utero and ready to come out, uh, right around his delivery day, his heart stopped. And we had the heartbreaking news on the day we thought we might deliver. He will deliver, but his heart is no longer beating. And Heather delivered our stillborn son, Fisher Samuel. And the world got very dark for us, and pain got very real. And these questions, why does God allow sin? And we grieved for weeks, we had a memorial. Um, our hearts were broken. And we're just seeking to hold on to hope. Uh, right before the baby had died, we had signed up to be Advent readers at our church's Bethany Community Church Christmas Eve service. We didn't know when we were going to read. We were like, oh yeah, we'll be Advent readers. We actually kind of forgot about it. And then the church called a few days before Christmas Eve. Hey, you had signed up to be Advent readers. Do you still want to read scripture on Christmas Eve? This is two weeks after our son had died. We said, yeah, well, sounds good. We need to get out of the house. We need a reason to shower and eat and get up. We just thought, like, this will be okay. And it was Christmas Eve of 2008. We 
we rushed to the church, had our two little kids kind of dressed up. We pulled up front. The building was full. It was the first time in the church since the memorial. We sat down front. I honestly don't remember reading the scripture until we were on stage in front of a room of people reading Isaiah 9, which Tom McQuaint read for us this morning, in front of a room of people reading, for unto us a child has been born, for unto us a son has been given. And to read those words in the midst of just weeks after losing our son, it, it brought the pain anew. Lord, how do we hold on to hope when our world feels really dark? How do we believe in goodness when we've experienced great pain? Many of you have asked those same questions. And all I can say, obviously I just wish we had some more time, but it wasn't the end of the story, was it? It wasn't the end. Just last Sunday, we, we celebrated our son's 14th year birthday of not coming alive into the world. And we released balloons. We have very sacred traditions. We mourned. We celebrated. It's a marker every single Advent. Things are not as they should be in this world. And still, we hold on to hope. We are people of paradox. I think typically the church has wanted to dance in these two worlds of either hiding away from brokenness or making a home in it. And we're people through Bathsheba. We're not going to do either. We're not going to hide from the pain. But we're not going to ignore the hope that is Jesus. That Jesus restores broken hearts. Jesus restores broken people. Jesus restores broken bodies. Jesus restores by his good grace. And so if there's something that you're carrying in your story this day, this week, this month, that feels especially broken. And that word of hope feels a little too soon. That's okay. Stay in this space, but continue to show up and continue to believe through the story of Jesus that he's not done. Because the reality is that Jesus' grace does cover us all. As 1 Corinthians said, that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I would maybe add to Paul's words there. God uses the painful things of the world to show us his great love. Verse 28 of 1 Corinthians, God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you're in Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness. That is our holiness. That is our redemption. And Jesus' birth that we will stand on this stage on Saturday night and sing Silent Night together. It is the good news of the great grace that restores our broken hearts and our broken stories. We proclaim a God not scared of the brokenness and not to be blamed for it, the one that can redeem it. And everything that, brought, uh, that, that we bring into light itself can become a light. Jesus is the reason that we can have hope that we can have belief, that we can continue to show up and sit in the back row or watch online when we're struggling to believe that God is still good. Because Jesus is perfect. He's so good. Because Jesus is holy. This is the story of Scripture over and over and over again that we teach you. The story of David was broken. 
He was redeemed. The story of Bathsheba, she was wounded. She became the queen mother. The story of Ruth was a widow, was given a new relationship. The story of Rahab, she was a forgotten woman along the wall and became a significant part of the nation of Israel. The story of Tamar, she was hurt at the the hands of another. She became in the line of Christ. This is not the end of your story. So may you be people experiencing Jesus in new and powerful ways. May Jesus be redeeming the low spots. For some of you, you're coming away with a little bit of a David moment, like, I want to bring that thing that I've been carrying into the light and not try to use sin to redeem sin. And for many of the rest of you, you feel a little bit more like Bathsheba. Maybe the world's had a, a special judgment on you, but you know through Bathsheba, she's been redeemed. She was used in the birth line of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis has this incredible quote that when we suffer, we're actually getting ready for incredible significance. Lewis says, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. Do you love that? It's hardships that prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. And friends, at the end of Bathsheba's life, she, she's, she's the queen mother, the leader of Solomon, who prayed for the heart of wisdom of God. Now, I know I'm a bit over time, but I got it. This is so exciting, what Scripture teaches about her redemption and about her hope. In the in, in this Scripture of Proverbs are collections of Solomon's wisdom. Many of you love reading like little Proverbs. At the end of Proverbs is that narration on a godly woman, and, and it's attributed to King Lemuel. King Lemuel is a writing synonym for King Solomon. So at the end of Proverbs, Solomon is quoting his mother, Bathsheba, to say, care for marginalized. Do good things with your life, little guy. Go and be a bright light. Solomon struggled with his own brokenness. Different sermon for a different day. But those attributes of a godly woman lifted up at Proverbs 31, most scholars say now, is actually talking Solomon's voice about Bathsheba. Isn't that remarkable? Like her story went on. Her significance, the line of her son went on. And though she had suffered much, she was covered by God's grace and folded into the line of Christ. So may you be people experiencing God's great good news. And for some of you, this is a bit of a head sermon that maybe you're going to tuck away when life gets a little bit hard or stormy. Some of the rest of you, it's like this is the right message for today because things have felt really hard. And as you look forward to Saturday night, Christmas Eve, and then Sunday, the birth of the Savior, may you believe that God can redeem things that you've been through, things that you suffered, and give you new hope, a new healing, new stories for significance, the redemption of us all. We don't minimize the brokenness. It's not the end of the story. Jesus' grace can heal us all and lead us to incredibly significant stories for the kingdom of God. Isn't that great news? It's great news. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for a word of encouragement from your scriptures. Thank you for, um, for being with us as we've taught through some really hard things here over the last month and some women that have endured much at the hands of others. Yeah, we pray for the bodies of our women. We pray for the bodies of our little one. We pray for protection against people who perpetrate violence. And God, we pray against people that quote God and do bad things in the world. 
God, teach them, correct them, bring them into accountability. God, we speak against people who have used influence or significance to harm anyone. God, may this church and the church at large speak truth to power and say the secret is not in hurting others, but God, in in not turning towards sin, but in being redeemed, naming our brokenness, naming our low spots. God, would you heal us from things we've been through? Would you help put our hearts back together when they've been broken? God, would your, would your spirit be like a balm and fall in this room or fall into homes right now that are watching online that just need to be reminded of your great good news, that you are a God that picks us up and puts us back together. Lord, thank you for Bathsheba. Thank you for her faithfulness. Thank you that though she suffered, it wasn't the end of her story, and she advocated and that Solomon was in the, in the family tree of you, Jesus. Thanks for what you teach us, the really surprising stories in Scripture. But may we be a church, may we be a people that are fully redeemed by your great good news. You'd be putting us back together too. We love you, Lord. In your great name we pray. Amen.